Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of WA Expose, a podcast about local arts by local artists. As always, I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording this podcast on Wajak Noongar Budja. Having grown up between England, France and the US, today's guest moved to Perth at the age of 18 and got a job in luxury real estate. After a couple of years doing that, she realised a life without the arts was no life at all. Quit her job and set about immersing herself in the art scene, starting out as the door girl for the Ellington Jazz Club and an all-rounder at Perth Symphony Orchestra, and then going on to become the program director of the Ellington Jazz Club for almost eight years. In recent years, she has produced a fair few shows and events, including a six-time sellout variety show, the poignant and well-received show in motion, multiple pop-up jazz and rock shows at Yegan Square Amphitheatre. All of her work all through this highlights and amplifies the incredible talent within Western Australia. With so many adventures behind her and adding to the list once again as the live performance program manager at the Rekabai, I'd say it's about time we got to talk to Cleo Shura on the podcast. How are you, Cleo? I am good, thank did I, you. Did I bastard that? No, no, no. yes. You oh. got it right. It's all good. Oh, the pain, <laughs> the <laughs> internal just being like, <laughs> so <Mate>. sorry about <laughs> my Alsatian name. <laughs> no, no, it's not that at all. It is literally just dyslexia and my brain being like, no matter what. Too any many word, letters, honestly. Any, I can't even do my own name. And it's like uh, it's hard for people who don't have dyslexia, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for you, what made you decide, uh, as we said at the beginning of the intro, um, that suddenly you just had to immerse yourself in the arts? Like what was the trigger for it? Um, I suppose I'd always grown up surrounded by a lot of art. My mum was a very big hippie. Um, so it was my, my childhood was very unconventional in many ways. Um, so I always grew up surrounded by music, especially and my dad is a producer, mm. uh, and then my stepmom is the founder and director, or was the founder and director. She's just uh, moved on to Greener Pastures, but she founded and directed Perth Symphony mm. Orchestra. Um, so my whole life was kind of surrounded by, and and I had spent a couple of years in, in real estate just really throwing myself into that, and I just sort of realised that it wasn't fulfilling me in any way, and I'd always been a creative my whole life, and I just knew that the place that I wanted to go was the Ellington so yeah. I just hassled the then venue manager, Luke Dornan, uh, repeatedly until he gave me one day a week <laughs> on the door and then kind of just hassled my way into the job from there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just like I was 21 years old and I just took stock of my life and went, it's time to it's time to just be in the creative world, whatever yeah. that means for me. Yeah, totally. Was there something in particular that made you go, it needed to be more behind the scenes and in front of the scenes? Because you're quite a well-acclaimed like writer in your own rights and musician as well. Well, not really. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself. Well, to me. <laughs> I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself. To me. <laughs> a musician per se. Uh, I've sung a little bit, but I'm definitely not a musician. I can't read music. Um, I had, I had, it's funny, I, 
when I was 18 and I first moved here, I wrote about 100 love songs because I fell in love for the first time, came out as gay. Mm. It was a very transformative time for me. So I wrote all these songs and I did a few gigs around town, just me and my little acoustic guitar. Um, and I think I had one really bad gig um, and it just it just scared me away and I never did it again. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so I had been, even though I was in real estate, I had been performing. Mm. Um I suppose I, I built all these admin skills and I mean, it's funny, I'd always been an events organiser even when I was a little kid. Like, so my mum was this big hippie yeah. and she loved to put on these annual parties. Her, her birthday was November 1st and she yeah. would put on a big Halloween party for her birthday every mm, year. Wow. And her being her, she'd just send out, you know, a little invite or, or, or a letter or whatever to whoever she was inviting because I suppose we didn't have social media at that time. <laughs> um and that would be it. But me, I was like, what else can we do? Can we pin velvet to the walls? Can we make a themed punch? Can mm. we, it was uh, six years old. And I said, mom, can you buy me a notebook? I want to plan this party. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very much sort of there from the beginning. I think my desire to deliver immersive experiences and events and things like that. And I didn't really realize that until I looked back one day and went, oh, it kind of makes sense that I've ended up doing this. Yeah. In terms of, it's funny, a lot of people have been asking me that question in terms of in front of or behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, when I was interviewing at the record by Marcus, one of the owners who is also the person who built Fringe from the ground up. Mm. I, may, I was honestly starstruck when I met him um, and very starstruck to be offered a job at the record. Yeah, that's huge. Um, but he asked me, he said, you know, how does how does kind of being the star in a lot of ways of your life inform your work as a programmer? And it was a really... Wow, that's a much better wording than like... Well, it was <laughs> that's an interesting a very good question. way to word it. I've never seen myself as the star or any kind of perf really a performer. I don't mm. see myself that way. I think I, I decided to do it a little bit here and there, but it's never been a natural thing for me. Like my mother was a very natural performer. Yeah. That's not, that's not me. I'm quite nervous. I get shaky and anxious and very afraid when it comes to performing <laughs> and I really do prefer to be behind the scenes I think I don't I, I don't want to say I'll never perform again because I'm I know I will but I don't think it's it's the main thing for me mm. it's something really interesting about um, production especially talking about your admin past a lot of the work happens before show day if you've done everything right show day should be quite smooth everything cross touching wood and all that it should actually be quite a smooth experience and you mentioned immersive experiences as well is that what you think in hindsight drew you to the Ellington yeah because it is very immersive as soon as you walk in the door it's dark and you've got those red strip lights along the mm. edges the bar it's all very it's very New York which is <laughs> brings me to having lived there for a while and enjoying that so much um yeah, the Ellington is just a beautiful space and it's its own thing and I, I, everyone who ever works there gets very sucked in and very much falls in love with it and I was no exception. Obviously, I, I worked there for nine years mm. and it was my last week coming up Wow, next week. Oh my gosh, wow. All, all of the best stories in the world and we have to obviously touch on, uh, I couldn't say it in the intro because I was going to give away the guest, but Clear's Big Gay Cabaret yeah. um, being quite a pivotal um, spark for you at the Ellington, well from the, an outsider's perspective at least anyway. What drove you to create that? Um, well, I, it's funny. I had always adored the budgie smuggler, the, mm. the artist, uh, fringe world artist bar. Um, and I would just have the best times there seeing all the different people from all walks of life coming in and, and putting their little shows on, not their little shows, but I mean, <laughs> what I mean to say is they would, they would, uh, platform their, 
their main shows at yes, the bar to yeah, give you yeah. a taste. And I, they, they put out an expression of interest for someone to do something. And I, at the time, was dabbling in drag, which was a very brief thing that didn't last. Um, <laughs> I was dabbling in drag and I decided to apply uh, not only to perform but also to run a night um, and it became Cleo's big gay Valentine's Day in early 2020. Yeah. And I booked a bunch of my burlesque and drag friends to come and perform. And I think, I believe, it ended up being the busiest night at the Budgie in 2020. Wow. Uh, and it was a huge night. And it went so well, I thought, why not just turn it into a show? And that's how Cleo's big gay cabaret was born. It's really cool. So is the idea of being a could be uh, is the idea of Cleo's Big Gay Cabaret to then like allow people who have work coming up in like other platforms to sort of do a similar thing and platform it at yours or is it just like a um, more classic variety show where it's like come on in and well, the show main, stuff? Well, the main idea behind Big Gay Cabaret was to platform queer talent. Mm. That was the main thing. I wanted a show that was only for queer people to perform yep. in. I only made one exception and that was for Cece Desist, but she gets an <laughs> honorary honorary gay card. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so yeah, it was it was really about platforming queer talent mm. um, first and foremost. But I would of course always be plugging whatever shows people had coming up when I was hosting, as well. So yeah, but it's definitely more about platforming queer talent in and, Perth. And how would you find hosting it? You mentioned a lot about like the nerves and the anxiety that you get before performing. Is hosting a similar thing for you? Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, but the thing it, it, when it was at the Ellington, it was very easy for me because the Ellington's like my second living room yeah. and I would just have, you know, three, four, maybe five whiskeys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a fantastic host when I've had a few whiskeys. <laughs> oh, great job. But no, not when I'm sober. <laughs> um, yeah, liquid courage. Um, so yeah, hosting was very nerve wracking and I would also sing every time I would host as well, mm. which is extra nerve wracking, <laughs> which is fantastic. And then this, this is a sort of like a rapid fire, very immersive, very sort of extreme experience of drag and of burlesque and of queer art, which is incredible. The almost in exact opposite, but still with queer talent involved, obviously you couldn't do anything without queer talent. That's just how art is it, with emotion. Um, something that you, a art show that you produced, was it late 2022? Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience producing and creating that in a completely different venue that wasn't your second home. Um, yeah, it was a beautiful experience. It, actually, Emotion was born because Mayday and I went to see the live screening of Prima Facie with Jodie mm. Comer, the one-woman play, and we walked out um, and May explained that she had an act that she wanted to share but that there weren't really any shows that could really platform it because it was quite emotionally intense and I said well then let's just let's just create a platform for you to do that and she was like are you serious I was like yep <laughs> let's do it um so we ran with that and I then it, it then pushed me to create a spoken word piece I've been writing spoken word poetry songs all of that ever since I was could write maybe three or four and I've never ever shared any poetry at least like mm. obviously I shared some songs when I was 18 but they were just silly little love ditties um <laughs> and you look back and the lyrics are so embarrassing uh but I'd never shared any poetry and I shared a piece that was I, I wrote it for the show mm. and it ended up being such a cathartic experience for me so it, it was it was hard I mean right up until the day of the show I almost wasn't going to share yeah my piece I kept saying to May oh I don't think I can I think I'm just not going to and, and a few of my close friends saying I don't think I'm going to and they're all very encouraging that I should do it 
and I'm very glad that I did. But yeah, it was yeah, it was born basically because May had an act that she wanted to share. Um, and then we put an expression of interest out on our socials. Some people got in touch with us. It was all the people that got in touch with us first got booked in the show. There was no, it that was it was not like oh we're curating a specific lineup. Mm. It was just the first. I think it was fourteen people that reached out, and then after that we had to say no because we got more. <laughs> like, sorry, we've 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 got a full lineup now, yeah, and no one's cool. going to get paid if we do anymore. <laughs> and it's going to run way over in connections. We're like, hey, hello, this is yeah. supposed to be an hour show. <laughs> um, getting back to your question, connections is it also feels like a home to mm. me. It's it's Barbie books it, and I, I've I've very good friends with Barbie, and just love everything that she does, and I've been going to connections for as long as I've been in Perth so it really didn't feel scary doing anything there definitely yeah was it so you mentioned that it was quite obviously a really big task to put out your own poetry which is super commendable um having been at the show it was a wonderful experience the entire production um what was the final straw that made you go I'm not I'm going to do it backstage or was it pre-recorded like what was the idea behind being like I'm not actually going to be front and center I'm going to force everyone to close their eyes and listen because it's very very different for especially queer art spaces to just be like all right now a moment of no visuals for a second (laughs) yeah (laughs) just think yeah it was a bold choice I know and I think it it did it was successful and Mm, did land in that way a lot of people did come to me after and say actually it was really good to just close my eyes and hear the words yeah well the reason I did it that way was because I was very afraid that I wouldn't get through it without breaking down Mm. because it was very very emotional piece uh, and I, I didn't want to take away from the words or stutter and stumble halfway through. Mm. I It took me quite a few tries to record it, like probably 10 or 12 tries. Um, so, yeah, that was the reasoning because I didn't want to stuff it up and break. Yeah, it was a very successful choice, definitely. I think that it's not often in especially in queer venues where like things are like bright and light and, and flashy, which is fantastic and we obviously we love that content, to just take a moment to be quiet and active listening and just to be still just it was a really I thought a really really smart choice <laughs> from yeah. the audience um so these are like massively juxtaposing things so there's the stuff that you've done at connections there's a the beautiful work that you've put on consistently at the Ellington for years now and then there's the work um at Yegan Square Amphitheatre how did all that come about I've been looking at that amphitheatre ever since it got built. Mm. My boss at the Ellington said to me, hey, like there's a grant coming up for revitalisation in the CBD. Can you see Mm. if you can get it for the Ellington? And I looked into it and it said, you can't do it at your normal place of business. Ah, And I went immediately, I knew. So I wrote to to Yegan Square, I wrote to Fiona Carlino at Yegan Square and she jumped the opportunity got on a zoom call with me and was like please we would absolutely love to have some jazz some live music in Mm. this space like we would love we've been wanting that but we don't know who to contact oh interesting and I went leave it with me (laughs) (laughs) I know who to contact yeah absolutely you know after god yeah nearly eight years programming and nine years at at the venue my list of contacts in the music music world is just extensive yeah I know them all (laughs) When it comes to jazz, I think yes, jazz, sure. cabaret, uh, R&B, soul, those kinds of things. Mm. It, not not so much. I'm not so much. I don't know the indie bands. And that was one thing I said to Marcus in my interview. He said, what was your blind spot? I said, I really don't know local indie bands. Mm. And I don't know why that is because I love indie music. Yeah, I think it Well, it probably has just has a lot to do with the location that you were in and I the spaces that people want to perform in. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I know, I already know that the question that people desperately want me to ask, obviously, besides emotion, when it comes to curating as a producer, what are you looking for? 
<laughs> yeah, we've got time. That's the great bit about podcasting. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's an interesting question. What am I looking for? It, it really changes from show to show. Mm. Um, but just raw joy, I would say. I want to see people enjoying what they do. And that was one very important thing when I would book people for Big Gay Cabaret. They said, oh, uh, what act do you want me to do? Because I think producers quite often will dictate what act you're mm, bringing. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, do the act that makes you the happiest. That's all I would ever say to people. Whatever makes you happy, whatever you love doing, do that. Yeah, that's. I think that's what I want to see is joy on stage mm. and enjoyment because I know that's something – I was seeking when I was trying a little bit to pursue performance and realising that that's not where I would get it. I would get it in the watching. Yeah. When I would produce these Jagan Square concerts and they were free of charge to the public. Amazing. And the last one uh, in – the last Brass with a Bang one in December, people from all walks of life showed up, all ages, and everyone was just dancing together. Mm. And I honestly cried. I just was like, this is so beautiful. I'm so glad that this is happening and that I put this together. And I just had this sort of moment of feeling very joyful and and realising that that was probably where my joy is in bringing art to people as opposed to being front and centre. How does that like collide with obviously the business brain of you, which has to go like, okay, but I have to sell tickets. Obviously not for Yagan Square, but when you go, go, you're like, I've got to sell tickets. I've got to do marketing. I've got to do all of this stuff to actually make sure that our venue, because that's who you're representing, does really well. How do you balance those two forces? That would be really hard. It's funny. I've never found it hard Ah. when it comes to the business side of things and marketing shows uh, I've never found it to be a struggle. It's mm. something that's very second nature for me. I don't know why. It just always has come very easily to me. Um, so I don't struggle with that side of things at all. Um, it, it's it's It can get tough sometimes when you've got some fantastic art, like, for instance, a great band or a mm. great singer who they want to be on stage at whatever venue you're booking or whatever show you're booking, uh, but you know that they don't and can't sell tickets because they just don't have the marketing skills yeah. in place or they're not putting the effort in, which like it's, it's a really sad thing, but it's the reality mm. of being a performer or in a band or anything like that. It comes with a side of you must do marketing. And if you're not putting the hard yards in with that, you're not going to do well. And it, it sucks, but it's the truth. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like, sometimes I have to have difficult conversations with people. Mm. Um, but I like to think that when I do that, I make a point of, complimenting their art and saying you know it's not about your you as a musician or as an artist what you do is beautiful I just for the viability of the show or the venue that I'm booking I can't put you on stage I'm sorry yeah and that's it's so valid to obviously have to weigh those things up against each other like we have to Unfortunately, you've got to go. You've got to come with a fan base. You've got to come with people yeah. who want to come and see the the shows and work that you put on. I'm always wondering about solutions to that because I know mm. that the government's always trying to throw money at arts, and I've always wondered if there's some grant solution whereby venues or shows can get a grant in order to ensure that everybody who's performing is paid fairly, mm. um, and then that would take the strain off of the venue in terms of hitting certain quotas for ticket sales there is like a couple of things that do that because we know like obviously belmont imaginarium yeah. runs something similar to that and we've just come off the back of ginger Lock festival which is a prepaid curated like festival yeah. so all of that stuff is like pre-booked in but it's hard for venues established venues yeah, exactly. that people really want to well, go and be it. a part of in my kind of foray into government because i think uh, with the grant that i got and then um, working with development wa like in that foray into government i've gone and realised that there is money out there for art 
and it's just I'm just now kind of at the drawing board going how can I what (laughs) model can I come up with that would make this beneficial for everyone totally and also make art accessible because I think a lot of the time now ticket prices are quite prohibitive uh, and they have to be in order to be able to pay for production fees venue hire fees uh to pay the artists to pay for marketing pay for graphics all those things Mm. uh it's becoming prohibitive and I think maybe some people might be excluded who don't necessarily have the like the spare income so I think I would love to find a way to make art more accessible. Totally. And I love that you've touched on that because it's an issue that currently, of course, as you, as the whole world is exploding around us, it's a problem that's only getting bigger and bigger. Yep. It's people's inability to have extra money at the end of the week to go and see live art. It's, it's becoming, yeah, really difficult. Definitely. Really difficult, which is a lovely tender place to take our first break <laughs> what an awkward spot to leave it on but I think that yeah everybody can think about that while the capitalism ads roll out <laughs> perfect perfect I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today since 2013 Bombas has donated over 100 million socks underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness if we counted those on air this ad would last over 1157 days but if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible it would take just a few clicks because every time you make a purchase Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And we're back. I'm still sitting across from Cleo and I hope that everyone's had a chance to think about whatever we were just talking about uh, because we're going to dive straight in to a question from one of our awesome listeners. Remember, if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to send us in a question, you can email us waexposepod at gmail.com. This one comes from an anonymous question asker, uh, but with she, her pronouns. What is your favourite part of your creative process and do you have a trusted person you bounce things off or do you just trust in yourself wholly? It's a big one. Yeah, and I mean it applies across multiple uh, art forms for mm. me. So with I guess I'll start with writing because that's been my kind of most focused art form in the last year or so. Mm. With writing, I do have a few people who are fellow writers who I'll bounce off of. Uh, I'm writing a book and I'll send them chapters or excerpts and just get their opinion. Uh, Poetry is a little bit more, I'm a little bit more guarded with that. Mm. Um, There's only, I think, one person, and it's a friend of mine who lives in America, who kind of has a similar similar emotional background to me, if that makes sense. So she'll get it when I send her something and be able to give the right kind of feedback. Yeah. Um, but yeah, writing very close to my chest. Art, again, very close to my chest with that. When I create art, I just do it. Um, because I find if I show anyone, whatever they say makes me feel awful, even if it's nice. <laughs> yep. Um, so I, it's better for me to just not share it with anyone and to just go ahead and make it. 
Um, but then when it comes to producing, that's something I definitely, definitely bounce off of people with. There's a couple of people. I'm working on um, a show concept at the moment, a burlesque show. I can't really say much more about of it. Of course. Um, <laughs> but the two people, three people that I bounce things off of for that were Lucy Lovegun, uh, Veruca Sauer and Sugar Dujour. Mm, I immediately reached out. List. Yeah, I immediately reached out to all three of them as people who – I very much respect in the burlesque community and I wanted to talk to them about my ideas for this show concept. Mm, so you, um, depending on what you're looking to create would like dictate if and who you go to most of the time? Yes, definitely. So for you there's not like no matter what the project is, I talk to these people about it. There's not like a set. Well, I suppose when it comes to the business side of things, if there's anything I'm ever stuck on, I'll call my stepmom Bobby Webster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's she's just a great sounding board yes. um, and just knows absolutely everything there is to know about arts management. So mm. anything I'm stuck on in, in terms of budgeting or anything like that, she's the first call I'll make. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah so fair. I think yeah. if everyone had Bobby's number, Bobby would. Yeah. But obviously she can't help with a burlesque show concept because totally. that's not her world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. Um, so what would you recommend? So obviously input and feedback and uh, quote-unquote constructive criticism and uh, unsolicited feedback has become like a really quite big topics in the scene um, recently. Yeah. Where do you sit on this very, very large discussion that has been happening in the Perth scene? Honestly, I think that... Uh, I, this is something I actually wanted to put in for the show that I'm creating for the MC to be prefacing the whole show with is to say that do not give feedback unless you are explicitly asked. If you mm. want to say something nice to someone about what they've done, by all means, go ham. But if you're wanting to say, oh, well, you know, I think you should have done that differently or have mm. you ever thought of this, don't do it unless you're asked. Yeah. It's, it's rude. Mm. It's just rude. I wonder where it's come from. I sort of wonder if like an idea of without sounding like the oldest person on the planet, but the, <laughs> uh, with the age of social media and the idea that we can put our comments and our quote unquote feedback out there so like readily and so quickly and all the time and for every single topic that has ever existed, we must give an opinion on it. Um, <laughs> sometimes makes me wonder that like has a part of that barrier been lowered so in live arts we go like oh, I thought you did absolutely fine what I would change though and it's like mm. no one asked you what you would change yeah and you know when if you're in that position where you're feeling like you want to say something mm. to someone like that I just would implore people to consider it first and yeah. think about what position the other person might be in and just ask them the question you can even just ask like hey like would you would you want to hear some feedback on your act but even that is it's a tough one mm. I feel like it should be something that is asked for by the person totally to someone no, that they trust yeah um and not given the moment the curtain closes and I'm that hearing artist. it from <laughs> I'm hearing it from a lot of I mean I'm friends with many many performers mm. and I'm hearing it from people in like the very top people who have been doing this for yep. 10 to 15 years I'm hearing that they're getting the unsolicited feedback and it's hurting their feelings right down to people who've been doing it for six months to a year yeah so it's happening a lot and it doesn't matter how experienced you are or how fantastic you are how many comps you've won hearing something like that after you've just gotten off stage is going to hurt yeah completely um I probably would recommend that like if people feel like it's bottling up so much inside of them that they have to get it out well you've got a notes app on your phone and maybe yeah. just write it down <laughs> and then look at it tomorrow and decide um okay is anything that I've said at all valid in this yeah. situation or did you just have what you should be having, you should be having an emotional response or some sort of like active response to the art that you've witnessed. And that's amazing. And I'm all for you having that response. Um, but it, does that have to directly go back to the person who created the art? 
I don't know. Maybe not. And Maybe I would not. I would liken it to imagine if you were walking down the street and you saw someone in an outfit and you thought, oh, if they just wore a different skirt with that, that outfit would be so much better. And if you just stopped them in the street <laughs> and went, hey, have you thought about wearing a different skirt with this outfit? <laughs> you would be you would be seen to be yeah. absolutely unbelievably rude. And it's yeah. the same thing. It's the same. It's worse even because that's someone's art that they're putting on stage that they've worked on. Yeah, totally. Um, and you're, I think. Again, I think I'd liken it back to social media. Your ability to contact somebody doesn't mean that you necessarily should. Yeah, <laughs> and I Absolutely. know that that's a rough one. But your ability to like to actually go into and slide into everybody's DMs because you literally can do that. Yeah, doesn't mean that you should be sliding to everybody's DMs and being like, I have this to say and I don't have that to say. Honestly, even if your feedback is just like, I want to tell you how amazing you are, but if you're like demanding excessive amounts of time from people, yeah. that's not automatically owed to you because you saw a show and I know that that's kind of difficult to understand for a lot of people. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, And I've I've definitely experienced that as well. I think never up until I did Big Gay Cabaret and then Mm. suddenly I would have people try and talk to me on social media as if they knew me really Mm. well and and just try and confide in me about really intense things. And I think once or twice I kind of had to say, hey, you know, I... I don't know you and I don't have the room for this right now. I'm so sorry. I don't have the emotional capacity to yeah. deal with this. It's, yeah, you become, when you put yourself on stage, people really do think that you owe them access to you. Yes. And that's a really interesting one too. Um, especially, say, I'm sure we've all done projects like, oh my gosh, you just came off emotion. Um, projects that are like more emotionally in depth, which do elicit um, a response from people. It might drag up some memories for people. And that is, that's, so great and so powerful and we love creating those experiences for people we love eliciting those reactions from people but that doesn't give you license to then trauma dump your thing yeah <laughs> onto them it's okay to reach out I think yeah, like totally. it's, after emotion a few people came up and hugged me and spoke to me about things they had gone through or, or had a little mm. cry and that is so fun in that space I think it's just when it gets onto social media and it becomes excessive yeah that's when it becomes a bit emotionally taxing yeah and work that you're not necessarily on the hook for, if that makes any sense. Like you've put on the show and you've created this space for people and that's one thing, but is it your 24-7 duty and therefore job for a $20 ticket Mm -hmm. (laughs) to then like be open to all people at all hours of the day? But also touching on social media, I think it's created a culture of seeming like it's okay to be rude and harsh to people Mm. in a way that it maybe didn't feel... 10 years ago or 20 years ago and that's something I've been thinking about a lot is I've I've witnessed some extreme unkindness in the scene in the last few years and I I just I suppose I just want to tell everyone to just be kind (laughs) be kind to each other you don't know what someone's going through I know it's like it's such a cliche thing you know be kind you don't know what people are going through but it, it really it really hits for me and I think I've noticed just, yeah, there's just been a little bit of nastiness going around and I just would love for people to just take stock and lead with kindness first. Mm. If you feel slighted by something or you feel like someone's coming for your gig or anything like that at all, just reach out with kindness first before you go on the offensive, I think. Anger Anger can be justified, absolutely, and warranted, required even, but I think a lot of people jump straight to anger before they try kindness and it Mm. makes situations infinitely worse than they need to be. Yes, definitely. It's something I made an art piece about it and I wrote a whole spiel and then I never shared it because it was actually, it was funny. I I thought to myself, I don't think I have the bandwidth to um, 
talk about this right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll often comment on things like sexuality or uh, depression that I struggle with, apathy, things like that. And when I put that art out, I understand that I will get comments, Mm -hmm. I will get messages, Mm. people will talk to me about it. And I think when I made this piece about kindness and wrote this thing, I just wasn't in a place where I was ready to receive like conversation about it. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't share it, but it's definitely been on my mind. Mm. Do you think that that's something on the – because we've talked a lot about how audiences or spectators like interact with artists. Do you think that that's something artists should be taking a yeah. little bit more into account before they release certain things, especially online? Absolutely. Absolutely. Before reaching out to anyone or posting anything, anything like that, just think about try, – think give people the benefit of the doubt, I would mm. say. Assume that they're not trying to hurt you because I think most of the time – no one's trying to hurt anyone. Mm, there, yeah. I think, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a sap, <laughs> but I think people are inherently good and I do think people aren't out there actively, most people aren't actively out there trying to hurt others. So I think a lot of the time, especially in the queer community, we're very um, wired to expect hate yes. and to expect people to be uh, not treating us well. And so when we're wired that way, when we when something we perceive as a slight or we perceive as um, offensive to us, um, we can very quickly go for the jugular, I think, mm. like very quickly go for a fight. Yeah, especially uh, within we're, our own community. Yeah. We're so ready to fight all the time. And, you know, when you look at what's going on in the world right now, um, when you look at the anti-trans rhetoric, mm. you look at the you look at the anti-queer rhetoric, you look at what's happening in America, you look at what's happening over East – that is all really terrifying and I think it creates it creates fear, um, especially and, and COVID was an awful time for queer people mm-hmm. and for artists. So I think it's kind of created this pressure on us and created this this kind of shorter fuse maybe than we might have had. And I think we've just got to extend kindness to each other at this time, the queer community, the queer performance community especially, because there's so much hate coming from outside. That's mm. what we need to kind of focus our energy on, not on each other, not infighting, because that's what that's what the oppressors, the people that seek to oppress us want. They want us to infight. They want us to focus on fighting with each other because the more we do that, the less we're focusing on fighting them and fighting prejudice. Anyway. No, <laughs> no, that's good. I, I, was, I was like, well, we, we could just go <laughs> silent for the next five minutes and everyone would just have like some thinking time. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I should, I should add that in at some point. Just be like, and now there's just like some elevator music and it's like your turn to just like have a think. Yeah. And then we'll come back. No, I, can, no, I could show. talk about this for hours because oh, I do think same. there's a lot, there's so much misguided hatred happening and we need to focus that outwards and make sure that we're looking after ourselves and that mm-hmm. we're looking after our rights. Yeah. Because people are coming for our rights as yeah. queer people. And we need to keep an eye on that. Totally. And if we think that it's something that is happening interstate or overseas and it's, oh, it doesn't, it isn't here yet. It isn't here. I think we'd be sorely mistaken because I feel like it also is here. I mean, we had an incident literally less than 24 hours ago um, where a drag story hour was under attack by people in the local community where the story hour was taking place. Like it is happening here. Um, It may not be as loud yet, but it's getting, unfortunately, (laughs) getting much louder. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I I guess I would implore people to be kind to each other and to focus your anger outwards towards people that are looking to take your rights away, Mm. essentially. (laughs) (laughs) And then in your arts. (laughs) So 
This brings up something that I've always found really interesting in local arts and especially in queer arts, uh, and that's how you balance doing art that is inherently, obviously queer art is inherently political just by the fact that it exists, um, but how do you balance doing like entertainment and entertaining art just for the sake of like joy and happiness, which is something that Big Gay Cabaret has like focused on so heavily with art that is pointedly political? I suppose I just think there's room for, for both. Oh, totally. Um, you know, I very much – oh, it's funny. It brings me something that's been on my mind. Um, yes, let's go. Again, <laughs> again, there's always things on my mind. I'm always thinking about 10,000 things at any one time. Um, I really believe in art for art's sake. Mm. I do. Art, Like art can be anything and it should be anything and it should just exist. Yes. Absolutely. It doesn't have to have a point. Uh, but then also it can be very powerful and it can have a point. And I almost got a tattoo uh, of art for art's sake, the Latin, I'm not going to say it because I'll probably say it wrong. Um, <laughs> and then I looked up I looked up the, the philosophy behind that that was born in the Bohemian era, kind of 1890s, mm. early 1900s in Paris. And I realised that actually the ethos there was um, – Art for art's sake and art should never be political. That's what they believed. So they believed that art should only be beautiful. It should only be for the sake of it being artistic. It should never, ever have a message. That inherently would make it elitist and a concept that not everyone could get behind. Well, I think their thinking behind it was anti-advertising. Right. I think that's where they were coming from. But when I when I read that, I was very glad that I did and didn't get that tattoo because, <laughs> yeah, I don't agree with that. I think art could be anything and it should be political sometimes and mm. can be and has been extremely powerful in the world. Um, as for how I balance it, I don't know. I suppose I, I started out with Big Gay Cabaret uh, and that was very fun and uplifting. Mm. And then when the need arose and I felt that the need had arisen for emotion, that's when... I kind of made emotion happen. Um, so I think, yeah, there's room for both within me as well. I suppose most of the time my visual art is quite dark, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Yeah. We'll have to, everybody will have to slide over to your Instagram and hope that you post that one about kindness at some point. I will. For us all to, all to see and for nobody to send you messages about. <laughs> no, so everyone, everyone can. I think, not right now because I'm, I'm three weeks into my brand new job at the Record Bite, Yeah. But it'll be, yeah, once I've settled down and I, I've been also been doing the Ellington as well at the same time. Yeah, what a change um, over time. So, yeah, it's been, it will be, at the end of next week, it will be a month of two full-time jobs simultaneously. So Oof. I've been waking up 6 a.m., working until 8 a.m., leaving and going to work until from 9 to 5 and then coming home and working from 6 till 11 <laughs> for the last three weeks. Oh, my gosh. Only artists could do yeah. could run hours it's not, like it's that. It's definitely not sustainable in the long term. But no, for no one way. month, I I figured I could get it. I could get it done. But I am oh very God. sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> and on the record, bite, there's something that I really would love to know is just like what won't hold you to any of them, I promise. But what are your goals for activating that incredible space? Because it is a space that people love and so much. So what what are your goals and ideas for this gorgeous place? Well, honestly, firstly, continuation of what's mm-hmm. already been happening because it's it's. Shu, who who was programming it before me, Shu Ling Wong, fantastic job. Yeah. Just like beautiful shows in there. Um, and then obviously having Perth Festival, that was Kira, my co-programmer, who who organised all of that. And we had Angel Olsen. That was my first week. I got to see Angel Olsen, which was just absolutely amazing because I love her work. Um, for me personally, I would uh, the, the Goodwill Club, the Basement Club, mm. um, is, is a lovely space. And I would love to get that 
space activated more for live local shows because it's got a small capacity mm. of 100 seated um, and it's just perfect for smaller local shows. You know, it's very difficult to sell. The hall has 300 to 800 capacity. That's yeah. a tough sell for a local audience for a local show. Um, so, yeah, for me, my goal would be reconfiguring Goodwill just a little bit uh, and having more live shows down there. I think that would be something I'd love to do, but that's all subject to, you know, approvals and management oh, and all totally, those kinds of things. Yeah. But that's, that's just something I personally would love to do. But it's already, I mean, in terms, like, I'm so happy to jump in and work there because it's already so queer. Yes, it's already, yeah. I mean, God, the restaurant's called Double Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> and already, like, a fairly accessible venue too in a lot of different yeah. ways, which is which is great and quite different from a lot of spaces. And it is a very different space. And this is not an ad for the record, but, but I'm very excited <laughs> what you're about to do there. Um, all right. Closing thoughts is lead with kindness, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just be kind and take a breath before you jump into anything, I think. Mm. Take stock. I like to think I'm very – it's funny. I'm an Aries, <laughs> <laughs> but it's very balanced out. I mean, we, we queers love astrology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much an Aries, but in my sun sign, but all my other signs, all my other placements are in Pisces and Libra. Oh, so it kind okay. of settles me a little bit. Yeah. So I'm, quite, I'm decisive and I take action, but I like to have a think first and after. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, just like my advice to anyone is – just take stock, have a think, and then take action. Mm. I think that's it, really. Yeah, and with those incredible words, uh, where can everybody find you on the socials so they can think before they write you a message? <laughs> <laughs> um, my Instagram is Cleoambra, that's C-L-E-O-A-M-B-R-E. Fantastic. Um, and as always, everyone, if you like this podcast, you can rate and review us on whatever podcasting app you're listening on or send us a question to waexposepod at gmail.com and we'll ask our next incredible guest. Thank you so much, Cleo, for joining me today. Thank you. WA Expose is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlett and M. Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlet.com forward slash WA expose. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.